This is Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, the Channelnomics podcast that connects you with channel chiefs, thought leaders, and executives about what it takes to get the next generation of tech to market. Here's your host, Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of Channelnomics. Hey everyone, I'm Larry Walsh and welcome back to Changing Channels. You may recall I'm the guy who's been running around for the last six months talking about the coming recession or the great economic collapse or the things we need to do to survive an economic downturn. I'm still of the mind that we have a lot more uncertainty ahead of us than clarity, but things are beginning to feel a bit better. Uh, The economic indicators across the general economy, both regionally and globally, are looking a bit better. Um, The uncertainty is beginning to clear up a bit. Inflation is coming down. uh, And tech spending is actually projected to be fairly robust, particularly when compared to general economic output. Uh, In the channel, we see some mixed indicators, but there is a fair degree of optimism as well for 2023 being a positive growth year. Now, here at Channelnomics, every year we do our channel channel forecast survey. We uh, survey vendors and partners to understand what happened in the previous year, as well as to get a sense of where they think their businesses are going to go in the coming year or the current year. Um, I could stand here and give you a synopsis of this report, um, but instead I've invited two of my colleagues to join me today to give their impressions and tell us what they found in the research. So joining me today is Channelnomics Chief Research Officer Chris Gonsalves and Vice President of Content Services T.C. Doyle, two of the brightest minds in the business. I've had the pleasure of working with these two gentlemen for many years, uh, and the insights they have are nothing short of top-notch. So with that, I want to welcome my colleagues, Chris Gonsalves and T.C. Doyle. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me today. Good to be here. So, Chris, uh, Chris, let's start with you. Uh, the big takeaway from this year's channel forecast is the optimism among vendors. Uh, amid all of this economic uncertainty, I mean, it is like a roller coaster out there when you're looking at all the indicators. Um, 82% of the vendors, uh, their channel leaders, anticipate a meaningful channel growth this year. Um, it's the highest level we've seen uh, in tracking this metric over the past few years. Uh, what's driving this optimism? Well, there's a couple of factors at work here. Uh, First of all, the words unprecedented times get thrown around a lot. You may have heard we were in unprecedented times. Uh, There's a certain COVID hangover going on. Uh, The technology adoption in this period was really pretty stellar. When everybody in America needs a webcam, when every uh, business is trying to help out their remote workforce, Every teacher needs a digital whiteboard. It's a good time to be in the technology business. And then you couple that with the fact that once we got all those orders, you didn't have chips to make all this stuff. And even if you did, it ended up stuck in a container floating off the coast of Long Beach. So people were paying to, you know, to be on a list to wait for a laptop. That has translated into what we see today, which is kind of a, we'll call it the good long COVID. Right. This is the, the, the vendors are the beneficiaries of this period of protracted economic activity. But unlike the real long COVID, uh, this isn't going to last. So um, it would be a fool's errand to think that we're looking at the, these numbers and thinking about the, the COVID hangover in isolation. It's it's not sustainable. 
Yeah. So do you do you attribute this though? Is that this will ultimately iron out over time? Oh, I think it's ironing out already. I think if you look at the partner figures, that's what you see. That's part of the differential that you see there. So it's already started to shake out. The fact that vendors remain optimistic. I mean, not everybody's taking the short view here. They can see over the horizon and they still feel pretty good about things. So that leads us to think that there's more to this optimism than simply, you know, make, you know, catching up with what we sold during the, the pandemic. We're going to talk a lot more about that. So I won't, yeah, of course. I and so, Chris, rather than dwelling about the things being stuck off the shore of Long Beach and the things that are still floating on out there, um, let's pivot to the other side of this, which is channel budgets. And TC, you know, the, as Chris was noting, the optimism is high. You know, four in ten vendors think say, but four in ten vendors say that their channel budgets are going to uh, increase. But forty-five percent say it's going to be neutral, and you have sixteen percent that say that their budgets are going to decrease. I mean, this is a significant shift. There's an inversion of these lines because typically we see channel chiefs saying that they expect their budgets to increase so they can invest more. What's going on out there? Well, let's put some perspective. Chris offered some really good perspective, and that is vendors are indeed reaping the benefits of supply chains bouncing back. They're being untangled. Orders are getting fulfilled. Stuff is finally flowing through. But at the same time, Vendors are also shrinking their channel ranks. And this is a critical point that we need to focus on. The idea of the long tail, the idea that we can have a million partners. Well, I think people are rethinking that. This moment is affording vendors the ability to invest more in fewer partners, the higher performing ones, the ones that are already have business practices, the ones that are getting that multiplier effect around for every $1 they sell, they're going to get 4 to $7 of service revenue. So while vendor budgets are going down, we see vendors maximizing the investments in their more productive partners. And Larry, you've been saying this for a year, the 80-20 rule. It's been moving to the 85-15 and to the 90-10. I think we're seeing this play out writ live. Yeah, it, I, actually, in our practice, our consulting practice, if if we see 90-10 in the vendor, that's good. I mean, a lot of a lot of channel programs we see out there is that fewer than five percent of the partners are actually contributing or are bankable uh, against budgets. Well, so one of the things, Larry, if I may, Chris's yeah. research showed that when you look at the ranks of existing partners within a partner program, it's what, Chris, 51% are actually transacting on an ongoing basis. So that means almost half are, you know, non-transactional partners. It's insane to try to keep funding and maintaining programs and uh, rewards for those organizations. Yeah. So, Chris, let's pivot back over to you on this, because as TC was saying, and and he's right, I've been seeing this as well, is that channels are shrinking. Partners are, the vendors are intentionally constricting their, their programs to reduce the number of partners that they're dealing with. Um, and I guess this is going to help them focus their resources more. But we're also seeing partner competence, though, plummet. Uh, unlike the vendors, only 74, three quarters of them, 74% say that they expect meaningful growth in 23. 
And while that's not an inconsequential part of the of the sample that we have, um, it is down to its lowest level that we've seen in at least the last five years. Where's why is the partner confidence declining the way it is? Where's where did their optimism go? Well, first, I would caution against using the word plummet for anything that's measuring three out of four people. It's still pretty good. Is it is it historically good? No, it's not. But three out of four partners still feel like they're growing and doing well and succeeding. But I want to I'm going to answer your question. I swear I am. But I'm going to be that guy for a second just to say you got to remember that what we do here in research is behavioral science. We ask questions about sentiment and perceptions and prognostications. We're asking human beings what they think. So we can't say with any confidence that channel budgets are going to increase or decrease 10% next year. What we can tell you is what percentage of channel decision makers believe that. We can't tell you how well partners are going to do to the penny in the coming year, but we can give you the percentage of those who feel like they're going to do okay versus those who feel like, you know, they're going to be level funded or less. Behavioral research is ordinal data. It's not interval data. It doesn't succumb to the kind of analysis that you would do with mathematical integers, right? The real interest, the real narrative that comes from the kinds of behavioral research that we do is when you compare those numbers to previous performance numbers, or you compare them among groups. What do these two groups feel? What are the differences in their sentiment about the same topic? Or within the same group, what is their sentiment on this topic versus that topic? That's where the real magic happens. So to answer your question about the partners, First of all, partners are the canaries in the coal mine. They're the leading indicators in all this. They're super sensitive to those immediate economic forces in the in the environment. So they have already exhausted whatever COVID long tail uh, benefits there were going to be. Uh, so they know that that, that that transactional stuff is behind them. And is that impacting their sentiment, their optimism about the future? Probably. But honestly, I think there's more to it than that. I, I think when we look later on at the figures related to services, how services is making up a greater share of the practice, the partner practice, than it did last year, that plays a role as well. To some degree, these partner practices are getting healthier. They're becoming more services oriented. They're doing exactly the things that the services transformation was supposed to do. But I feel like it doesn't feel as good to a partner to do that. Like the the selling a bunch of laptops and getting a bunch of cash in my hand right now just feels better to me than the prospects of a recurring revenue engagement that pays me over time. Even though I know it's more profitable and they do because they tell us what they're the ones reporting the profit uh, percentages within all of these areas of the practice. So they understand that it's where they want to be. They're doing the right things. But I think from a sentiment perspective, it just doesn't feel as good as it felt two years ago when they were moving a lot of stuff. So you wouldn't draw a correlation between the trend that we're noting here that the channel programs are getting smaller. The vendors are focusing on fewer number of partners and a even what you will de uh, describe as a marginal decline in partner confidence. Are you asking me if uh, 
correlation equals causation? Because that's what it sounds you, like you're asking me. It does. It's, it's exactly what I'm asking you. <laughs> well, here, here's my answer to that. Nah, probably not. <laughs> uh, partners and vendors look at the world very differently. Like I said, the, the partners are the canaries in, in the coal mine. And we like, to, we like to talk about symbiosis in the partner-vendor relationship as if it were, I mean, symbiosis is parasitic, right? It's, we talk about them like they're lamprey eels attached to the side of a salmon. Well, a lamprey eel doesn't spend a lot of time looking over its shoulder, worried about predators or wondering where its next meal is going to come from. The real relationship between partners and vendors is more like a remora and a shark, two separate biological entities that benefit from one another. But I can promise you the remora is looking over its shoulder all the time. It's sensitive to things that a typical parasitic organism would not be. To up to and including the fact that it could be eaten by the shark or one of its buddies at any given time. So uh, there's different sentiments, there's different prognostications. I think what that really, the result, that's the result of two parties that uh, are showing their dissimilarities, not their commonalities. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And I just want to say to the to our audience is that I bet you didn't think you're going to get a lesson in marine biology in this podcast. So <laughs> we've done the virology, <laughs> immunology and marine biology. You know, we haven't even and we haven't even ventured into ecosystems yet. I'm sure we'll get there. It's coming. I feel it. Coming. It's, <laughs> uh, so, TC, speaking of sharks and parasites um, and also toiling in coal mines, uh, it's a daily occurrence now that we're hearing about tech companies and layoffs. And, you know, since November or so, we've seen the tech industry shed about a quarter million jobs. Um, however, the forecast for worldwide IT spending is still high. Our friends over at IDC and Gartner are both saying that it'll be at least 5% this year. And, and interestingly, what they also say is that even if the economy bottoms out, that IT spending will still be above 3%. So why do we have uncertainty on this? If if the tech indicators are pointing in the right direction, then why are we seeing layoffs and we're seeing you know vendors reprioritize uh, reprioritize what they're doing in their go to markets? Okay, let's a lot of questions there. Let's unpack them. Um, layoffs. Why do we see so many layoffs in the tech industry? Certainly among key leading vendors. Well, let's be brutally honest. Vendors that were exploring moonshots and all kinds of other things, they piled on a lot of people. And they did so even during the pandemic. Now they're paring it back. They've looked at some of those, you know, left field, out of the box thinking projects that they've had. And they recognized, okay, we need to rationalize. These are not working. Let's cut. Let's trip. But those are big vendors, and in particular, social media companies tied to advertising. That is not a happy place to be right now. But if you look broadly at other tech companies that are providing cybersecurity, infrastructure services, they're still in high demand. So now let's flip it and look at the customers. What are the customers doing? Well, they recognize that the, the most impactful lever they can pull to change their business, to improve the customer services they provide, to get more competitive as investments in technology. So 5%, I think you and I might think that's a little bit high, a lot of bit high, but it is definitely going to be uh, above 2 to 4 maybe even 3%. And as you well know, when you're cutting, if you are cutting across your board, your organization, your end customer, 
you're an airline, you're an insurance company, you're in financial services. If you believe that the single greatest lever you can pull to improve the prospects for your business is going to be information technology, you're not going to cut that. You're going to find other places. Maybe it's marketing. Maybe it's, you know, other organ uh, entities within your organization. But technology investments are deep, multi-year investments. And if you're going to get the maximum benefit from that, you can't cut. You're in, you're out. So I think there is reason for good optimism. We're also starting to see some of these emerging technologies that have been long kind of promising starting to deliver. Everyone's agog about AI. That's going to be a huge investment. Everybody recognizes that they need to deeply invest in cybersecurity. Nobody wants to get caught up and end up being one of those organizations that got hacked. So I think there are significant reasons above and beyond the fact that individual categories, PCs, peripherals, maybe they're a little bit down because people gorged on those during the pandemic, but long-going sustaining investments in technology will result in business benefits. Yeah, vendors and customers, partners alike, are still on board with that. Chris, uh, amid the talk about layoffs, though, is there's still a fairly high deficit of IT talent out there. And one of the things that we note in the channel forecast is the profitability among managed service providers that they are doing quite well in terms of throwing off cash. I think you noted in the reports it's between uh, the average MSP is throwing off between 16 and 20% of their gross in profit. Um, and I bring this up because when we're talking about the, the talent pool that's out there is that MSPs are the aggregation point of talent. And this allows them, this really does the underpinning of their, of their value proposition. Um, and so if you're a million dollar MSP, just to use a number, then that means they're throwing off between $160,000, $200,000 in profit. Um, what's, where are they generating this from? What's driving that, that MSP success? And what are the implications to the vendors? So yeah, being a force multiplier is right in their wheelhouse, right? That's the banner on their value proposition. The, the, the cautionary tale here, going back to something that we were talking about earlier, which is what appears to be this return to the services transformation uh, march or you know rejuvenation of it. It looks that way if you, we look back at it over the course of the last couple of years. But if you go back to 2019, what the line looks like more is like trying to traverse a New England pothole. I know you don't know at all what that's like, but there's a dip in the road uh, but we're kind of getting our footing back to where we did. Folks were already comfortable operating their practices with managed services as at this level of share of their entire enterprise. So as I said earlier, they, they understand that managed services and professional services are the two big profit centers. Um, and even if their sentiment is weak around their overall prospects, um, this is this is what the number is going to look like with incremental increases going forward now, absent another, you know, huge event like COVID. So what does it mean for the for the vendors? Um, the challenge for the vendors is to really get their arms around what these services mean, what they are. And I mean, just because people are incorporating services doesn't mean they're incorporating your services. So no. I think when you hear vendors complain about the services transformation, 
they may just have blind spots to what is actually happening in the channel. They need to understand, you know, w whether they're winning or losing that services battle, because this will feel very differently to different vendors, I think. And the, the good ones get that. And th those playing catch up I will eventually, I guess, or they'll die trying. Yeah, I, I'll tell you that this is one of the things that, uh, that confounds me when I'm talking with vendors, uh, talking with channel chiefs about exactly what you just said, Chris, is that they feel or they express this sentiment that the partners aren't adopting services fast enough, that they're not getting into recurring revenue models. And the research you did for us shows that, no, they're already there. They're just not there with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess it's hard to, it, I, I, I will tell you from my experience, it's hard to get that across to say 90, you know, when you, I show them a number like this in the report, 92% of the channel that we surveyed has some form of managed cloud or professional <laughs> services being sold on an annuity contract. And yet somehow the vendors still don't see yeah. that. And that 8%, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> so very true. TC, one of the other things that come up in this report is growth strategies. And I, I don't want to dwell too much because they're the one things we can stipulate for the record is that they are investing in, in technology development or at least their skills around technology and service delivery. They are investing in what they say is sales capacity to increase their reach and increase their revenue. But in the top five, rounding out the top five is M&A, is that they see the opportunity to grow through mergers and acquisitions. And as we note, this has been in the top five for several years, yet you've just done some work on this to show that what many will call channel consolidation isn't really having that much of an impact. You know, So we hear about these concerns, vendors getting concerned that consolidation is gonna impact their channel performance or their channel capacity. What is actually happening out there regarding channel consolidation? Is it happening or is it more hyperbole? Oh, M&A is happening. It's rampant for about 5% of the channel companies that are <laughs> out there. And that's an important point. Um, we yeah. do hear about these things. In fact, you know, we've heard as much as more than 1,000 deals between uh, MSPs, telecom agents of size. And we know that there's so many more deals that went on. But at any one given time, 95 plus percent of the channel is not engaged in an M&A activity in a given year. M&As do happen, they're a natural part of the business cycle, but partners are more oriented uh, around building out their capabilities and capacities, as well as maintaining the current services and executives and, and, and executing on their uh, capabilities. Um, M&As are happening, but they're not happening at the level that is transforming go-to-market strategies for vendors. What do I mean by that? When you look at your pool of partners, and yes, there are very pointy examples of organizations that are purposely coming to market, backed by venture capitalists, backed by private equity, that are purposely trying to do roll-up strategies and the like. And they are creating some super powerful regional providers, be they MSPs, be they agents in the telecom space. Um, but are they having the ability to influence the channel as a whole? No, they're not. It is a growth strategy for some, but it's the pointy, it's the pointy, better funded organizations. But as you look at your channel as a whole, not having a material impact. 
So everyone, if you, whether you know this or not, I'm going to tell you anyways. The three of us here are all former journalists, um, and you know, TC and I worked back in the day. We worked for uh, what became CRN now, uh, and Chris and I worked at uh, a couple of different publications in the channel uh, and outside the channel around this. But Chris and I, our careers go back to newspapers when we refer to ourselves as uh, ink-stained wretches. Um, and back in our newspaper days, it was always the joke was all the news of the world that conveniently fits in the daily newspaper. Uh, so it's meaning that we there was more going on out there than we could ever print. So, and that's the case with the forecast report, Chris, is that there's a lot more material that we have that we're working on. Guys, why don't you share with us, you know, both of you, just, you know, what do you think, we're, what are we going to be sharing with the, with the Channelnomics audience in the coming months? Yeah, some stuff got left on the cutting room floor for sure. Uh, I think um, training and certifications is something that we're going to have to take a, a harder look at. Uh, it wasn't tightly aligned with what we were trying to report in the main report, but I think separately, uh, it's an important issue. It's certainly an important issue for the vendors for um, a number a number of reasons. They want to you know make sure that their folks are obviously qualified and well educated about delivering their solutions and they want to you know sort of uh, have, a, have a line on who's doing what in the marketplace uh partners are having a difficult time fulfilling that um they just don't they don't have the time and they don't have the people to do it so uh th there needs to be a meeting in the middle some of that is going to be distance learning did we learn things in the course of the last three years that would help us with uh, remote learning opportunities that could fill in the gaps there we need to find out what exactly the benefit statement is for the partners. What are they, what, what, what do they say training and certification really does for them? How important is it in the market? What does it mean to the end customer? Uh, I, almost every time that, that TC uh, makes a comment, he brings it around to the customer. And that, that's something that a lot of us don't do in this business enough. None of this really matters unless we understand what the end customer really desires here. So training right. and certs, I think, is something where we'll start to look at that and then try to bring it back to the channel to show how important it is to both partners and vendors. Uh, emerging technologies, I heard uh, TC mention that. We you know, did a fair amount of surveying on what solutions out there, what technology sets out there are primed for growth. Where do partners see the opportunities. And as we start to talk about ecosystems or whatever we want to call them, this idea, because most of those emerging techs are really combinations of technologies, right? They're, they're solution segments that require the input of a number of different vendors and maybe a couple of different partners. Uh, so we, we need to figure out which of those, where's the noise and where's the, where, where's the meat that's still on the bone here? Because a lot of times when you poll people about emerging technologies, what you get is you get a roster of the things that are best marketed. Whoever's got the most marketing money tends to get the most attention and it's top of mind for a lot of the partners. So we got to tease some of that out and figure out where, where the real meat on the bone is there. Same with uh, marketing and other marketing related things. I know vendors are really hot on getting back out into public and doing live events. And on the other side of that coin, it seems like partners are not that crazy about this. It's not super high on their list of things to do, to get on a plane and go, <clears throat> you know, eat rubber chicken and hang out in a convention center. So uh, 
where where is the opportunity there? What what is really driving vendors to to want to do that? And what would it take for partners to see more value in that? Because they probably don't at the moment. And then there's the channel automation thing. We started to look at channel automation. And when you look at that channel automation stack, there's three dozen technologies that are involved there. So you got to start somewhere. A lot of that is encapsulated in vendor portals. I think we need to look at just what does the what does the technology facing the partner look like? What capabilities does it have? What do partners need when they're interacting through a ven uh, through a partner portal with the vendor? How well the vendors are doing and what they can do to improve that. And from there, you'll start to see which capabilities are required under that portal umbrella, and that'll sort of inform the rest of the the uh, the automation stack. So that's kind of some of the things that we'll be looking at that came from the forecast research that we haven't reported yet. Well, let me pick up the baton from where uh, Chris was talking and run with it a little bit. We've got a lot of information on training and certification. We're going to be talking and creating assets. And for Channelnomics IQ subscribers, this will be obviously available to you. But we're also going to be sharing technology bets for optimum growth. When I look at the research that Chris has, partners, top segments for growth, security, cloud infrastructure, BCDR, server and virtualization, it is abundantly clear that a lot of your channel partners are investing deeper and deeper into infrastructure. One of the things that I'm interested in and in following and looking as we go forward, Larry, is will partners swing to more of the business applications that are running the organizations they serve? I've long thought this was going to happen, but it didn't. It didn't in the last decade, but maybe we're on the cusp of that possibly happening. We're going to tease that out. We're going to examine that. Will partners play more of a larger role in the business applications and the business outcomes of their customers? I think it's inevitable as they start to invest in new things. One of the things that we've seen, Larry, is uh, over the years is partners have kind of winnowed down their technology stack. They've honed it. So in some ways, we see partners de-emphasizing external non-profitable vendors that have maybe a modest contribution to their service practices. But when they want to bring in a new technology and expand their service offerings, I think we're on the cusp of perhaps something quite new and quite interesting. Those are the kind of things we're going to be following and looking ahead at. Very good. And look, for everybody listening in, this is precisely what we do here at Channelnomics. We're here to help service your needs by giving you the information that you need to you know, understand what's happening out in the market, understand what's happening in the channel, and make informed, rational decisions. Uh, and as TC noted, the Channel Forecast Report is available. It's on Channelnomics uh, website. It's also available to, uh, complimentary to all of our CIQ members. Um, and if you just want to know more about it, you know, please reach out to us. We're, we're happy to have conversations about what we're seeing and what we're hearing. And guys, that's about all the time we have for, for this conversation. I hope and I know we will have more like this in the future. Um, everyone, I want to thank my colleagues, uh, Chris Gonzalez. He's the, again, Chief Research Officer here at Channelnomics and TC Doyle, the Vice President of Content Services. These are two gentlemen who are part of a small army here at Channelnomics that make me look smart. Um, and so I want to thank them for the work that they do day in and day out. And 
creating great research and great content and guidance like this. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Good to be here. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in yet again to another episode here of Changing Channels. As I say all the time, technology is changing the world, and we here at Channelnomics are tracking how that technology is getting through the channel to the customers and facilitating the change. Um, as I said, we do a lot of this type of research and do a lot of support services for technology companies around the world. If you're interested in learning more about that, please reach out to us here at Channelnomics. If you'd like to get a copy of the 2023 channel forecast, there's a link below. Uh, they'll help you find it on the Channelnomics website. And if you like what we're doing here, please hit subscribe, tell your friends, uh, and also check out our other podcasts, In the Margins and The Network Effect with Bryn Edison. Uh, some great guests and great content over there as well. Until next time, I'm Larry Walsh. Thank you for joining Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, a production of Channelnomics. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends. For more information about Channelnomics services and insights, follow us on Twitter and YouTube, and check out our website at channelnomics.com. Channelnomics is a registered trademark of and Changing Channels is copyright by 2112 Enterprises, LLC.